at John 15, Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Uh, I'm going to read to you again. Today, uh, we t- I want to talk about the fact that we are branches in the vine and what Jesus says to us, what instructions he gives us about that. Let me read it again, John 15, uh, verse 1 to 11. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, what you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, live, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, and just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and your joy may be made full. There was far too much in that passage to do in one week, for a shorter uh, service as well. Jesus is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser. The father cuts off what is unfruitful and cuts back, prunes, what is fruitful so it may be more fruitful. And we are the branches. Every believer is a branch attached into Jesus the vine and therefore a member of he who is the true vine. And the Israel of God we saw last week are those who are in Messiah Jesus the true vine, freed from the law of Moses, living by faith, living by the Spirit, following Jesus. So this week we're thinking about fruitfulness. And Jesus states it both, both positively and negatively. Abide, live, remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, lives, remains in me, stays connected into me, and I in him, bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. Now, I want you to notice Jesus doesn't say there, now go out there and produce some fruit and bring it back again. That's a false idea that's infected the Christian faith for many centuries. We cannot be fruitful without him. It's about connection and relationship with him. Nothing, that is, nothing of any real lasting value, nothing that matters in the end, nothing that honors God can be done without him. And the sooner we we take that on board and stop making excuses for the things we think we can do without him, the sooner we'll make some better changes in life and choices in life. We can't do anything without him. The one who lives and remains in Jesus and Jesus lives in them bears much fruit. It isn't about trying. It's not about fretting and sweating. It's living and remaining in Jesus that produces the fruit. Now, what is fruit? What is fruit? Well, here's my definition for you. Fruit is observed character and behavior. 
You see, whatever people may say or claim, their lives speak too. And we must take recognition of their attitudes and actions as actually reflecting the truth about them rather than what they just say. Jesus said, uh, talking about fruit, Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know, know them. Now, that is not just true about false uh, Christian leaders, false prophets, false teachers. It's true about just about everybody. We are known by our fruits, observed character and behavior. And Jesus tells us there are three things in this passage back in John 15 that we need to bear much fruit. First of all, we must be in Jesus the vine, connected into him, relating to him, living and sharing, as, as Debbie said, with the yoke, sharing in life with Jesus. We must be cleaned or pruned. And that's not just a one-off deal, folks. That's regularly. And we must live and remain in him. So let's take those words up a bit. Clean. Cleaned, pruned. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Cuts it right off. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now, Jesus hasn't changed the subject between verse 2 and verse 3 about cutting and pruning and being clean because it's part of the same language. You see, when you, if you make a cutting from something and you're going to put it into something else, you make a cut and you clean it and you shape it and you plant it. And you're, if you're going to graft it in, you've really got to shape it. You've got to shape the, the vine and you've got to shape the cutting and bind them in. And then it can grow in its new position. So this cutting, this cleaning happens. And Jesus says there, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And consistently in scripture, what God uses to cleanse us, to challenge us and to change us is his word. Is his word. Now the disciples here haven't got all the truth. There's more for them to hear, more to understand. They don't get it all yet uh, and certainly don't understand it all. But as they continue to know the truth, Jesus, and the words that he brings them through Scripture and by the Spirit, it will continue to challenge and liberate and change them. Paul says in Ephesians that Jesus washes his church by his word. He's washing us, cleansing us continually by the scriptures and by the things he says to us. So we need to be cleansed. We need to be joined. We are clean, cut away from our old way of life and our old place in life, our situation, our, our circumstances, our routines and rhythms and, and habits and so on, to be joined to Christ. Everything changes. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's still changing, but enough has changed that he's a new person, or she's a new person. Being joined is what this passage in Matthew, in John 14, 15, sorry, is all about. Abiding, living, remaining. Now, where you abide is your abode, yes? It's your home. It's where you live. It's where you stay. So we are to make our place of remaining, of living, of staying, not just 
some address in Harlow or one of its nearby areas. But Jesus, that's where I live. That's where I stay. Now I'm going to put some headlines up here because I have to preach in headlines during this time. Some people are occasional visitors to church, but we cannot be occasional visitors to Jesus. We are to live and remain in him. In Ephesians, Paul makes much of these two phrases, in him and joined. He emphasizes two things. We are individually joined to Jesus, which makes us also joined to one another. And he uses the picture of a body to do that thing. If you're joined in, we should be growing. To bear fruit, a branch must be healthy and grow. Today, the world today reels with myths and theories and false trails and conspiracy theories. One foolish idea that's been around Christianity or Christians for a very long time is that faith in Jesus is like having a ticket to heaven. Whatever happens, whatever we do, the pearly gates will welcome us. Now I believe very firmly that not one of those given by the Father to Jesus and for whom he died can ever be lost and condemned. Because that is what I understand the Lord Jesus himself teaches, particularly in John's Gospel, and is confirmed by the rest of the Scriptures, the Apostolic Writings. But it's also plain from Scripture that a person may be counted as a Christian, may give the appearance of being a Christian, and yet may not endure to the end but proved to be false. Jesus had a false disciple, Judas. For quite some time, Judas appeared to be a disciple and was counted as an apostle of Jesus. But he proved to be false, a betrayer, a son of perdition. If you go through the Bible reading plan that we do here at Lighthouse, Simon the sorcerer was converted in Samaria and was baptized, but soon showed himself to be to have a heart that was still not right in the sight of God. And he still needed to repent of his wickedness. And he was poisoned and bound by iniquity and bitterness in his heart. Paul and other apostles write with deep sadness and perhaps even more than a little frustration and anger about those who have counted as believers, who've been close, trusted friends, but who proved in time to be false and even turned back and became blasphemers. So there are warnings and challenges in Scripture. And there are warnings in the words of the Lord Jesus here. And my take is this, that we, part of our enduring the faith and, we, and continuing to live in the grace of God is we take, we take heed to the warnings. We allow them to give us a little check from time to time. Oh, yes, that's still true. I'm not saying that saved people can be lost, but that some people who are called Christians may prove not to be so in the long run. So we, we need to keep growing. We need to keep adding to our faith. Growing in grace. Growing in character. Character is what fruit is about. Bearing fruit. The evidence of life is growth and in this analogy of the vine and the branches, there's no point in the vine branches growing if it doesn't provide fruit. If, you, if you've got a fruit tree or a vine or a fig tree, if it doesn't produce fruit, then you, after a certain amount of time you dig it up and stick another one in. Because that's what it's there for, to produce fruit. Growth to fruitfulness. What is the good fruit that the Lord desires? It's not just good works, it's broader than that and deeper than that. We don't have to imagine or invent an answer, let's go to the scriptures. I'm just going to read them to you. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Ephesians, Ephesians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. James 3, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is about character, observed attitudes and actions. And in fact, if we want to define what kind of character it is, it is Christ-like character. For after all, we're joined to Jesus to learn to be like Jesus, to grow to be more like him. As we're be- even when we're bearing fruit, we need to be pruned to bear more fruit. We've been cleansed, but we still need cleansing. We are saved, but we still need saving. We've been changed, but we still need changing. In fact, I would dare to say that's why you still continue in this life, because the Lord hasn't finished with you in this life yet. And the growth of faith and obedience and character is more often advanced by times of adversity than prosperity. The process of more fruitfulness involves more cutting away. As Christians, we lose to gain. And we are dying to live. Hard times push us into the Lord. If we don't live and remain in him in those times, then we really are going dangerously astray. The pursuit of wealth and of godliness don't share the same air and space. You can't love God and wealth. So listen to the wisdom of some of our forebears. It's David, in fact. He says, Psalm Psalm 11, Before I was, I think it's 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So what happened? He was afflicted, and now he keeps God's word. Hebrews 12 is a long passage on on, on the loving discipline of God our Father towards his children. And and, And the outcome of it is this. Those whom he loves, he disciplines, and those whom he disciplines become more fruitful. The outcome is fruitfulness. Before we close, I want to... Look at these great promises that the Lord Jesus makes here to those who will live and remain in him and obey him. Because if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. The promise of answered prayer. Oh, we'd all like to dig into this one, wouldn't we? We'd all like an automatic way of knowing our prayers would be answered. This isn't automatic, but it's part of the issue. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. Effective prayer... It's not about words, the words you choose, or how loud you pray, or how long you pray, or how often you repeat your prayers. If we want our prayers to be answered, to be effective, we need to pick up the keys that the Lord Jesus gives us. We ask in his name, that comes from John 14. In other words, Jesus is the object and objective of our prayers. We're praying to him, we're praying for things about him, things that honor him, that are according to his revealed will and purpose. We're not just trying to throw our good ideas or our wish list on God, but we're seeking his will 
which is all about how the, the pattern prayer starts, isn't it? Let your name be honored, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it, it isn't like, well, I've got this great idea and you better do it, Lord. It's about seeking him, the object and objective. And then abiding in him and his words abiding in us. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. How do his words abide in us? When we keep them. What do we mean keep them? Remember them? No, do them. Do them. We obey Jesus. So there's three O's there. I haven't put them on the screen for you. but Jesus is the object and objective of our prayers and, Jesus, and we obey Jesus in our praying too. It's a promise of answered prayer. There's a promise of living in the love of God. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, we will know his love. It's the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shared with us. The love between the members of the eternal God. The Father who loves the Son, the Son who loves the Father, the Spirit who loves the Father and the Son. That experience of his love is not earned. We don't earn it by obedience. But as we stay close to him, connected to him, and we obey him, we experience without hindrances his love. There's no barrier between us and his love. It's like, it's like the sun shining without the clouds. We enjoy the love of God. The image here again and again is of closeness, of openness, of warmth. If you love me, you keep my commandments and you will live in my love. Then thirdly, lastly, there's the promise of the living in the joy of God. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. Notice that it's his joy. It's the joy of Jesus, the joy of God. We may not think of God being joyful, in which case we've got a wrong view of God. God rejoices over his people. He rejoices over true goodness when it's found. He rejoices in righteousness. He rejoices over parents caring well for their children and husbands loving their wives and wives loving their husbands. God rejoices in his creation. Everything he made was good and rejoices when he still sees what is good. It's the joy of God the Father. It's joy within, again, the Godhead, the Father's joy over the Son, the Son's joy in the Father, the Spirit's joy in the Father and the Son. Shared with us the limitation, the the, 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 the limit on our experience of the love of God or the joy of God is the measure of our capacity, our hearts, our willingness to be near, to live, to remain in Jesus. What goal do you have in life? Because God has a goal for every one of us. It is to bear much fruit. To have such a a life that can be seen and the character, the growing, not perfect, none of us are perfect, but the growing character of Jesus can be seen as you learn and live and change and grow. So to sum up, just two headlines. Fruitfulness, biblically, is the effect upon others of the life of Jesus in us. 
living and remaining in him, bearing the fruit that is produced by his life being in us. And lastly, fruitfulness comes from fullness. That's not a trick of words. As we are filled with the life of Jesus, we bear fruit. We can't do anything without him. We can do whatever we need to do with him. We can be what we should be with him. We can do what we should do with him. Because his life is in us. You see, the branch doesn't have any life. It all comes from the vine. From the roots and the leaves of the vine feeding this branch. And as the life giving, uh, uh, as the flow of life comes from the vine, so the branch bears these grapes which we can eat and enjoy or even turn into some magnificent wine. We're joined to Jesus, living in him, and as we, we stay there, living in him, drawing life itself from him, we will bear much fruit. Now with all this talk of grapes and wine, we better break bread together.